Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 461. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Inside Science Earth Optimism Initiative series, today's show is another in our series about the global conversation regarding climate. Over the past half century, from historian Lynn White's influential 1967 essay attributing many of the causes of the ecological crisis to Latin Christianity, to Pope Francis's 2015 addresses to Congress and the United Nations about the need to combat climate change, the Christian churches, and to some extent the other world religions, have made a momentous shift toward incorporating environmentalism into their teachings. The change is evident in the emergence of ideas such as integral ecology in Catholicism, eco-kashwad in Judaism, and green Buddhism, as well as various forms of religious environmental activism. Our guest today, ethicist and author Dr. William Barbieri, answers our questions about how and why these religious traditions have adopted their teachings in response to ecological challenges and about what we can learn from this process regarding the role of religions in the modern world. Dr. Barbieri will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here July 7th via Zoom. We'll have more details on our website, but Dr. William Barbieri will be discussing the ethical ramifications of the greening of Christianity. This is going to be a great presentation, as well as other models of ecological spirituality and ethics. Dr. William Barbieri is Associate Professor of Ethics in the School of Theology and Religious Studies and Director of the Peace and Justice Studies Program at Catholic University of America. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Dr. William Barbieri. Dr. William Barbieri, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to talk to you. This is a fascinating subject. We're going to talk about religion in a way that I think is going to be of real interest, certainly of, of interest to me and my audience. I know we'll be very excited about it. You're going to be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates program via Zoom coming up here. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, and then maybe tell us how you'll engage the audience via Zoom, because I think that's always uh, an important one here. Right. Well, this is my first presentation with the Smithsonian program, and I've, I'm still adjusting, as many of my colleagues are, to Zoom teaching. So it'll be a little bit of a, a trial experience for, for us. But uh, the, the presentation itself is about the greening of religion. And uh, it, it takes up the, the way that religions have become more and more involved in ecological questions over the last few decades. I'm going to try to engage the audience through Zoom, much in the way that I've tried to do with, with some of my teaching recently. Uh, and one of the ways that I do that is by uh, soliciting a few uh, quote-unquote volunteers from the audience to think out loud a little bit about their own interactions with environmental questions and and the extent to which religious perspectives might have played a role in that. And that, I think, will help me set up a discussion of how this issue has become live for many different religious communities, Christians first and foremost, but you know, there are all kinds of interesting religious actors from Asian religions and indigenous traditions who've also gotten involved in what's really become a global movement over the last few decades. Yes, live. I think that's really a, a good way of putting it. So maybe tell us a little bit uh, how are religion and the environment linked? Well, you know, uh, on the one hand, 
the human relationship to the environment, ways that we've thought about nature have always been deeply influenced by religions because religious traditions have been such a major influence on, on culture historically. But on the other hand, you know, religions teach a lot about uh, the poor, about how people ought to treat each other, about war, about economics. And they've had comparatively little to say about how people relate to the environment until really the last 50 years or so. And there was a kind of uh, watershed moment back in the late 60s when a medieval historian, a fellow by the name of Lynn White, published an article in Science Magazine where he reflected on what people at that time had come to realize was a, a global ecological crisis and specifically on the role that religions had played in the formation of that crisis. And he remarked both on how the Christian tradition in particular had been very deeply involved in the emergence of science and technology and uh, modern economies, including capitalist industrialism. And on the other hand, how certain sorts of religious teachings, like the idea that uh, um, as it says in Genesis, uh, people should uh, fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion over the earth and its denizens, uh, be fruitful and multiply. How these kinds of uh, teachings reflected an attitude that saw humans as deeply separate from and authorized really to exercise control over nature. His point was that uh, this kind of mindset was probably uh, not incidentally involved with the emergence of the economic juggernaut, especially in, in uh, Christian societies that produced the domination of nature and many of the adverse environmental effects that people were noticing back in the 60s. So he, he summed it up by pointing out that uh, he used a, a, a particular term. He said that Christianity is the most anthropocentric religion that we've known, meaning that Christianity, by placing humans at the center of all of reality and uh, all of the, the concerns with spirituality and the tradition, in a sense, uh, authorized a worldview that made it easy for humans to dominate nature. And this kind of uh, uh, analysis and really indictment of Christianity in particular caused a firestorm, and it, it, on the one hand, prompted a very defensive reaction by theologians and others who said that you know, Christianity wasn't really uh, committed to environmental destruction. On the other hand, it prompted a lot of soul-searching, too, and I think set in motion a process where religions have more and more self-consciously reconsidered how their teachings and, and practices have impacted the earth and uh, helped contribute on the one hand to environmental problems and how they might often offer the potential on the other hand to try to come up with, with solutions. Thank you for that. I, I, I tend to be uh, a religious person. Many, many in our audience, I think would, would identify as the same. And, and I know my own religion and faith teaches uh, maybe a, a, a certain oneness with nature and almost a, meditative quality that that I get when I'm out in nature. How, how else has religion responded to kind of some of the ecolog 
logical changes that, that we're facing. Well, that's a, a great point. And I think a big part of the response uh, over the last decades has been uh, a, a work of highlighting the aspects of religion that, as you say, model a much more constructive attitude toward nature. So uh, I would say a, a couple of things. First of all, uh, religious traditions have responded in two basic ways. One is to uh, focus on what we might call the worldview piece, on thinking about the very deep ways in which religions either can promote a notion, like you said, of, of oneness or of uh, a kind of integral relationship between humans and the other parts of what many religions, religions think of as creation. Um, and on, on the other hand, uh, religions have also been involved in, in the action piece. So religions have always been interested in uh, taking up certain kinds of, of questions like how the poor are treated and working on the ground at the grassroots level and in, in developing solutions, both in the, the worldview piece and in this kind of action piece. You, you found a lot of religions uh, doing a couple of basic things. One is to uh, is the work of, of recovery, of going back into the roots of their tradition and uh, uncovering uh, resources there, uh, thinkers, texts, practices that uh, are, are conducive to environmental health and recovering those, uh, re renewing those and highlighting them. Another has been to uh, rethink and reinterpret some of the, the, the key texts and other resources in the tradition. So the, the passages that I mentioned in Genesis, for example, many Christians have gone back and said, uh, you know, this, this doesn't necessarily mean that humans should dominate nature. Perhaps it means that humans act in God's place as uh, trustees or stewards of nature and that they are uh, carrying certain responsibilities to take care of God's creation rather than just use it for their own devices. And then, uh, you know, the, a third response has been for religions to uh, develop new ways of responding to a problem that wasn't really squarely on their radar screen before. And partly that's that's involved uh, interreligious discussions to see what, what other traditions think. You know, you mentioned the idea of oneness. Uh, that's certainly a strong theme in a number of Asian religions as well as in some indigenous religions so christian theologians theologians in in uh, other abrahamic religions have uh, sometimes been inspired to to think about how other uh, traditions that we might think of as closer to nature think about the the human relation to the environment we are with Dr. William Barbieri. Dr. Barbieri is a professor of ethics at the School of Theology and Religious Studies, the Catholic University of America. Dr. Barbieri is going to be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program coming up really just right around the corner, July 7th. The title of Dr. Barbieri's presentation is The Greening of Religion, Ethics, and the Environment. So, Dr. Barbieri, what, what are some of the ethical ramifications of, of the greening of Christianity? Well... If we start front and center the, with the relationship that I've just been talking about, the human relationship to nature, uh, really the, 
the key ethical shift is toward an idea of uh, responsibility for the natural world and its systems rather than a sense of uh, you know carte blanche to exploit nature to our own purposes so ethically that means that humans need to recognize uh, the intrinsic value of other creatures and of natural systems rather than thinking of it simply in terms of uh, instrumental value things that are only valuable because they can contribute to human purposes one uh, way of thinking about this that the, the Catholic tradition in particular has modeled is talking about the, the sacramentality of creation, the idea that, uh, that the, the, the beasts and birds and uh, uh, formations of nature contribute and convey and communicate something about their creator that humans are charged to respect and honor and uh, act in accordance with. Now, more specifically, uh, different traditions have been modifying their teachings and developing principles like the, the principle of sustainability or the idea of care of creation that they've incorporated into their teachings. And a major role actually has been played by uh, Pope Francis's initiative. Uh, he introduced a major teaching statement in 2015, a, a document, uh, a so-called encyclical letter called Laudato Si, uh, which is Latin for uh, uh, praise be, praise be to the creator. And he, he issued this very powerful teaching statement, which was written in a way which teaches uh, a, a kind of ethic of what he calls integral ecology that he addresses not only to Catholics or to Christians, but really to, to all people, all people of goodwill around the earth. And he uh, trotted out this teaching with a, a tour where he went and spoke uh, in uh, Paris in advance of the, the climate negotiations that they had then. Uh, he spoke to the U.S. Congress, he spoke to the U.N., all as a way of trying to raise consciousness about the, the relevance of an ethical attitude in response to climate change that could be informed by religious traditions, but should also have appeal to other people mm. as well. Fascinating. Uh, Dr. Barbieri, I know you're very busy. We certainly appreciate all your time. I really just have one final question. I, I want to ask you a little bit about the progress being made. And is the action by organized and even some of the, as you use this term, indigenous religions, are, are we are we seeing progress? Is there change? Is there an uptick of awareness and support for this climate, some of the climate change initiatives? And how does the future look to you, I suppose, around this subject? Well, it's a great question. You know, it's, it's very difficult to measure how something like uh, religious influence might, might or might not be moving the needle on this very important issue. But there are a lot of signs that, uh, um, first of all, that, that, that awareness is changing about these issues. Um, you can also look at all kinds of different grassroots actions on the ground. There are all kinds of organizations like um, the, the Interfaith Organization, Interfaith Power and Light, uh, the, the Green Faith Initiative. There's a, an Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility, uh, Karenna Gore runs a, a center for earth ethics in New York. 
And in fact, uh, even the UN, the UN Environmental Program has launched uh, a faith-based initiative to, to bring religion to bear on environmental questions. They have over 130 faith-based organizations that are part of this global effort. Uh, you have, um, you know, resistance to the Dakota Access Pipeline that's been led by some of these indigenous groups that have drawn on their their spiritual heritage as a as a source of resistance. So there are there are pockets of uh, local movements all around the globe. There's some international coordination. Uh, there's some effort to bring religious voices to bear in in the policy process. Again, it's difficult to measure, but the, the signs are there that at least the potential is there for, for this to make a long-term difference. Well, Dr. William Barbieri, we appreciate your time and your uh, all of your energy and efforts in, in making us more aware of this. And we, we certainly want to pay attention to this. I really encourage my audience to attend this presentation with Dr. Barbieri. I think it's going to be a wonderful one. Dr. Barbieri, we'd love to have you back and talk about this. I think this is important enough to discuss this on an ongoing basis and if for no other reason to remind people of, of the value of, of all of this. We have been with ethicist and author Dr. William Barbieri. Dr. Barbieri will be speaking at the Smithsonian Associates program titled The Greening of Religion, Ethics, and the Environment. I hope your family's well, Dr. Barbieri. I hope you're um, successfully uh, making your way through all of this quarantining and uh, healthy, but uh, we certainly wish you the best and thank you so much for your time today. Likewise, and great to talk with you. My thanks to Dr. William Barbieri joining us today to talk about earth optimism and how the global conservation movement has reached a turning point, especially with religion. We are all aware, and it has been well documented, that the fast pace of habitat loss, the growing number of endangered and extinct species, and the increasing speed of global climate change has just accelerated. Yet, while the seriousness of these threats cannot be denied, there are a growing number of examples of improvements in the health of species and ecosystems, along with benefits to human well-being, thanks to our conservation efforts. Earth Optimism celebrates a change in focus from problem to solution, from a sense of loss to one of hope in the dialogue about conservation and sustainability. Let's support and celebrate Earth Optimism. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, stay safe, everyone. Practice smart social distancing and talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>